good morning, church. It is so great to be with you. Uh, my name is Jeremy, lead pastor here, and we are excited that you're here with us as we begin this series called Vantage Point. I want to encourage you to get your, your journals out. We are in week one. You'll see a spot there to take notes, and we encourage you each and every week, write down some of the passages that we're talking about, things that stand out to you, and, and hopefully these are things that you save and you reference later and you go back to uh, what God has been teaching you and, and just conversations that you've had around the faith. And so we encourage you to do that. Get your Bibles out. We're going to be in the book of Luke. Chapter 22. And so Luke is in the New Testament. You've got a physical Bible. You can get your spot there. If you've got a Bible app on your phone, I encourage you to get that out as well and scroll to Luke and get your spot there. And we are going to talk about how the resurrection changes everything. And so it's a story. And, uh, you, you know, if you've been at church for a while, you're like, yeah, Easter, it's about the resurrection. I get it. I've heard it. Big deal. Uh, but here's the reality. This is a story that changes everything. It changes our story. Uh, today, it changed their story. So the goal is... As we look at, you know, the original people who experienced this, how it changed them, the goal is for us to realize today, wow, this, this continues to change us as well. So hopefully you find yourself in this story as we go in the next few weeks. Well, let you know something exciting that we're going to do on Easter itself. We are going to take up a special offering uh, as an Easter offering to go outside of our church. So what we're going to do is we're going to do our regular Easter offering. That allows us to continue the ministries that we do day in and day out here. But we're going to invite you on Easter to to, uh, participate in an extra offering that we're going to send out into the community. As we've been praying about, planning, going, hey, God, what would be a great need that we could meet in our community uh, where we could be the church outside of these walls? And and we found it's an incredible opportunity. I want to show you a video that we made that tells you more about it and explains. And and so we want to give you a few weeks notice uh, so you can be planning and praying and preparing for this, and hopefully that you can get excited with us about how we want to uh, let the resurrection, the power of the resurrection, continue to impact people in our community. So here's a video. This will explain more. Check this out. think of a greater way. Yeah, you can clap for that. I can't think of a greater way for us to be the church in our community than to help some of the most vulnerable among us. And here's the reality. You may not be aware of sex trafficking. That might sound totally weird to you. Like, what on earth are they talking about? Um, there are more people living in slavery today than at any point in the history of the world. Uh, when you start to look into this issue, you realize this is out of control. And here's the challenge for us. Let's be honest. It does not personally affect most of us. So it's so easy for us to go, well, that's not my issue. That's someone else's issue. Uh, we want to be a church that makes it our issue and says, you know what? There are vulnerable people that are hurting people. We as a community can do something for them. And so I encourage you, would you be planning and praying about what you as a family can do, uh, just above and beyond, just to be generous to our community and say, hey, God, use us as a church uh, to make an impact. And so I encourage you to be a part of that with us. I think it's going to be amazing. 
Today what I want to talk about uh, are, are those good intentions that we have and what happens when they fall apart. See, so much of life is, is set on these good intentions that we have. Here are all the things that I'm going to do, all the things I'm going to accomplish, and, and it's easy to, to really get wrapped up in that. And yet, if we're honest, those good intentions don't always play out. That's why we have a, a widespread expression, right? The road to hell is paved with good intentions. And we understand this. Like, yeah, it's, not, it's just not enough to have good intentions. And yet, so much of our mental process is about these intentions that we have and, and what we, we, we plan to be true and what we think that we might someday do. You ever notice how we judge ourselves based on our intentions, no matter how it plays out. This is what I want it to be true, but we judge others based on results. Well, I'm sorry, you didn't actually do it. You, you know, and, and we don't have any idea what their intentions were. We just know what, what they actually ended up doing. And, and somewhere in that, we've got to figure out how does this affect our faith? Uh, because as a Christian, you can be all about having great intentions and living those out, and that can be your version of Christianity. Just be a moral person, be good enough. Uh, and yet we're gonna see how Jesus meets us precisely in the moment where our intentions break down. That's what we're gonna see today. So we're gonna look at a guy named Peter. Now, Peter, if you've uh, been at church for a while, you read the Bible, is a, is a well-known guy. And, and yet today we're gonna look at one of Peter's lowest moments. Uh, Peter's one of those guys where it's easy to relate with him because he, he speaks quickly, he acts quickly, he does some of those dumb things that everyone else can learn from. And today we're gonna get a chance to learn from him as well. But I, I think you can find yourself in this story as you go, well, I, I kind of understand what, what he's dealing with there. So I wanna show you, we're gonna begin in Luke 22, verse 31. I wanna show you a conversation that Peter has with Jesus where Peter is going to lay out his good intentions and Jesus is going to challenge it. And then we see how this is going to play out. So here's a conversation. We're picking up where Jesus is talking to Peter. He says, Simon, Simon, it's another name for Peter. Satan has asked to sift all of you as wheat. But I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. But he replied, Lord, I'm ready to go with you to prison and to death. And Jesus answered, I tell you, Peter, before the rooster crows today, you will deny three times that you know me. See, this weird setup where you have Peter's great intentions. And notice, I will go to prison for you. I will go to death for you. Could you say that to Jesus? I mean, those are pretty good intentions. And yet what Jesus says is like, uh, Peter, you don't understand. You're not gonna be able to do what you, you think you're gonna be able to do. Now, this, this whole conversation begins in verse 31 with a weird image where Jesus says that Satan has asked to, to be able to do these things to the disciples and to Peter. And, and that word there for asked, or some versions say demanded, uh, is nowhere else found in the New Testament. And they're going, what is this? What's the nature of this conversation that Satan has with, with God? Uh, and it reminds me of the book of Job in the Old Testament where, where in the first couple chapters you see Job uh, is dealing with all these afflictions because Satan has asked God to do it to him and God uh, you know, allows it. And so immediately you're wondering, what's on the line here? Like what's going on? Like Satan is trying to do something, but notice that Jesus says he himself has prayed for Peter. Now, I don't know about you, but I wouldn't want to know that Satan was asking God to personally afflict me. I mean, that would make me a little nervous. But then if I found out that Jesus himself were praying for me, I'd feel pretty good about my chances. You know, like, all right, I, I can handle it. Jesus is praying for me. And that's what's on the line here with, with Peter. 
Now, you notice, okay, we're going, well, how come he's called Simon and he's called Peter? Uh, there's actually four different names used for Peter uh, in the New Testament. And, and this was common in their culture because they spoke multiple languages. They went in and out of different languages for different purposes. For us today, this is very strange. Uh, you, you may get confused. Why, why do people in the Bible have different names? Well, partly just because of the multiple languages. But you also have different names for different seasons. And there's some strategic moments where God changes people's names. Now, Simon is, is kind of like Peter's early name. It's like his pre-Christian name, if you will, where he goes by that earlier on, and then later he's gonna really be, be known primarily as Peter. But what we're gonna find in the story today is that Peter's gonna have an identity crisis because his identity is shaped by his good intentions, as is yours and as is mine. And we, we go, this is who I am, all these things that I would do. And yet the reality is you, you're not necessarily your good intentions. You're, you're the results. You're what you actually see. And, and so Peter's going to have this moment. Now, Peter, after Jesus is dead, uh, before the resurrection, he's going to go back to his old life. He's going to go back to being a fisherman. In John chapter 21, we, we learn about Peter in those three days following the crucifixion of Jesus. He doesn't know what to do with himself. And, and so, you, again, you see how much his identity is wrapped up into this. And, and yet, you know, we, we know what that feels like. Maybe you became a Christian and you had this powerful transformation of the person you used to be and the person you are now, and you go, wow, I am not that person anymore. But maybe that old person sometimes creeps back in. Maybe sometimes you have those thoughts like you used to have, and maybe you kick yourself for it. I don't want to be that person. I'm not, I'm not that way anymore. It's not my intention and maybe you struggle with why do some of those things that used to be appealing to you, why do they still seem appealing to you if you have been this new creation, this new person? See, this is what Peter is dealing with as well. You're, you're not alone in that. I believe that Peter means what he says when he says to Jesus, I would go to prison for you. I would go to death for you. Except here's the problem. Peter doesn't know how those intentions will be challenged. He doesn't know. He thinks that Jesus is going to be this conquering king, that he's going to take over for Rome, and, and he will lead his new kingdom. He has no idea that in just a few moments' time, from the, the moment he says these words, that they'll actually be tested. And that's the problem with intentions. When you say them, you don't know how they will be tested in the future. I think about this when, you know, I've had a, a number of, of wedding ceremonies that I've performed. I don't do a ton of these, but I've done a few of them. And, and whenever I, I do a wedding ceremony and you're meeting with a couple and you're talking about it, it's always amazing to me how over the top a couple is right before they get married. I mean, they are just dripping with ooey gooey love, you know? And, and so they tell you about how their marriage is gonna be the marriage to end all marriages, you know? And you're going, okay, that sounds great. But here's what you know is like, hey, I've been there and I know you have no idea what's coming. You know what I mean? Like, like yeah, I don't wanna bring you down. Like your love is great, but, but it's, it's just, you can't en envision it until you've experienced it. And, and I can speak as a married man. There's, you know, for most of us, there's like this honeymoon period. Everything's gray. It's all up and to the right. It's exciting. Your adrenaline's pumping. And then there's some moment, maybe you get home from the honeymoon or maybe sooner or whatever, uh, where, where life, <laughs> yeah, choose my words carefully here. My wife's in the room. Where, uh, where life just catches up with you, right? And you know that moment where, where you come home and you realize that your spouse squeezes a toothpaste from the middle, not the end, and you want to lose your mind over this, you know what I mean? Or you go to put a cup back away in the cabinet and they do it the wrong way, either upside down or right side up, you're going, whoa, 
Whoa, or how about this? They put the toilet paper on the wrong way. <laughs> Did you know there's a right way to put the toilet paper? Everybody knows it's over the top, not under. Can I get an amen? Thank you. Thank you. Let's, let's be the community that changes this. <laughs> or guys, maybe you had this moment. You, you go, you're hungry, you, you go to, to get something out of the fridge and you realize your wife ate the last of your leftovers. <laughs> Honeymoon's over. You know, you're like, whoa, we did not agree to this. See, the problem is you don't know how your intentions will be challenged. And those are some humorous examples, but anyone who's been married knows that there's some really hard ones that are not as funny. When you start to, to work out, how do two become one? It can often be a painful process. And, and yet, it doesn't negate the intentions you have, the, the vows that you make, and yet, most of us would acknowledge we haven't fully lived that out. Be, because we, we intended one thing, we had no idea how it would be challenged. I think that's what we see with Peter. He, he really wants to be this person for Jesus. He wants to go to prison or go to death for Jesus. He just doesn't know how it's going to play out. And so we're gonna fast forward a few verses. You get to verse 54. What you realize now is that Jesus is now in the, the, the he's in captivity with the Romans. They now have control of him. It has completely changed the story. And now his disciples are going, wait, we thought you were gonna be king, not this prisoner and certainly not a guy that they're about to execute. And you can imagine how all of their intentions are now being challenged. Here's what it says in Luke 22, verse 54. Then seizing him, they led him away and took him into the house of the high priest. They led Jesus away. Peter followed at a distance. And when some there had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and had sat down together, Peter sat down with them. A servant girl saw him seated there in the firelight. She looked closely at him and said, this man was with him, but he denied it. Woman, I don't know him, he said. A little later, someone else saw him and said, you, you also are one of them. Man, I am not, Peter replied. But an hour later, another asserted, certainly this fellow was with him, for he is a Galilean. Peter replied, man, I don't know what you're talking about. And just as he was speaking, the rooster crowed, the Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. Imagine that moment. Locking eyes with Jesus. And this realization that all of your intentions have fallen apart. Then Peter remembered the word the Lord had spoken to him. Before the rooster crows today, you will disown me three times. And he went outside and he wept bitterly. You ever had a moment like that? It's a moment where you, you knew all the things you're gonna do, all these things you intended to do, and you didn't do them. Then life got the best of you. Life overwhelmed you. And maybe you know what it feels like to weep bitterly in the midst of your own failures. Now you may be wondering, well, how, how long is this playing out? Well, if you look at the, the, the wording there, from the, the time you have the first question, you get to verse 58, you have a little later, there's a second question, verse 59, about an hour later, you have the third question. That probably all this took place within about two hours' time. That Peter has this monumental denial back to back to back within just a few short hours of time. And, and you may be wondering, what has changed in him since verse 33 that we, we began with? These intentions that he said, I would go to death for you. 
And now he's, he's not acting like that at all. Why is he following at a distance? So I think Peter, he still believes all that. He just knows I'm not prepared for this. I'm not strong enough for this. And so he's watching Jesus intently. He's pursuing him. He's following him. He's still invested in him. But he realizes he does not have the strength to follow through with all the things that he thought were true about himself. Here's what you realize. This is so interesting. The guy who walked on water is now afraid to tell a little girl about his faith. I mean, if anybody could be strong in their faith, it's surely the guy who walked on water, who did what nobody else apart from Jesus has ever done before. When a little servant girl says, hey, aren't aren't you with him? Peter says, I'm not with him. I have nothing to do with Jesus. And, And you realize how good intentions can rapidly fall apart. See, when you're at your best, your good intentions may be good enough. When life works out for you just the way you want, it may be good enough. But life has a way of coming at you the way you didn't expect or more than you could handle. And all of a sudden, those good intentions will fall apart. And what then? What do you do then? Have you ever found yourself in that moment where you had to explain yourself based on your good intentions, not based on the results? I remember years ago, when uh, our oldest uh, first learned how to ride a bike. It was a transformational moment for me and and for him, you know? And, and, you know, when you are raising kids, you realize you get used to where they're at at any given point because you see them every day. And you're like, all right, this is your skill set, and you get used to it. And then one day, all of a sudden, they can do something they couldn't do before, and it surprises you. You're like, wow, you could do that. That's how I felt with him riding a bike. It was like, hey, yesterday, you didn't know how to ride a bike. Now you can. This is pretty awesome. And I remember looking at all my other kids and thought, you guys have potential. You know, like, let's see what you guys can do. And I felt pretty good about myself. Like, I'm the dad that is going to tap into this potential. And we'll see what you guys are capable of. Well, about the next day, we go to the park and we're just playing around. And I noticed in the park that there, there are swings. But there's two types of swings. There are the bucket swings, you know, if you've seen these before. Uh, these are the childproof swing, uh, no matter what you do, your kid won't fall out of it type of swing, you know, scientifically designed to contain your child. And, and these were the only swings my kids had ever used up to this point. But I saw next to those swings, the big boy swings, you know, swings that, they, they look like that. And I remember thinking, Gavin can ride a bike now. I'm a pretty awesome dad. Let's do it. And so I go, guys, come here. We're going to go do these swings. And they're like, Dad, we've never done those swings. I'm like, I know, I know, but I believe in you. And so I load all my kids up, and we get them in a line, and they're all on these swings. And I start, you know, gently pushing them, and they are just, you know, so happy. They're squealing with delight. They're kicking their feet up. Life's good. I'm thinking, this dad thing is so easy. I mean, I just don't get how people have a hard time. So I'm just going through, pushing the kids. I'm like, we're, I mean, this is amazing. What else can you guys do? Well, while we're there, you know, my oldest, who just learned how to ride a bike, he's loving life. And I'm like, you know what? You're a new man. Let's do this. I get behind him. I start pushing him a little farther, you know? Just keep going higher and higher. He's loving it. Everything's going great. I'm like, man, let's just. So I just keep pushing him, pushing him. And he gets so high up there. And he gets one, I mean, where he is all up to the top. Then he lets go. And at that moment, he does the most amazing acrobatic flip midair and lands perfectly on his face. So he flips around, he does one of these, oh, bam, right there. Now, 
would love to tell you that my first reaction as a father was to run over to my child in need and make sure that he's okay. But as a man of the cloth, I feel a certain <laughs> obligation to be transparent with you. So my first thought was, how many other parents saw this? <laughs> and I realized they all saw it, the whole <laughs> playground. I look over, my wife's sitting on a bench just like this. <laughs> like, really? So I'm like, oh, this is bad. So I run over to my son and I pick him up and he's like, <gasps> you know, doing that number. I'm like, you're okay, you're okay. You know, dust him off. And he gives me this look like, I don't even know you. <laughs> Runs over to mom. And I'm like, oh, okay. I look back on the swings where my remaining children are and their eyes are big. Like, are we next? Who's next? Like, what? I'm like, guys, come on, it's me. Dad, don't judge me on the results. Judge me on my intentions. But life doesn't work like that, does it? Ever had that moment? You find yourself going, whoa, whoa, whoa. Don't judge me by how this looks. Judge me by what I was trying to do, what I thought I'd be able to do. See, I think Peter's having this moment where he, he's, he's locking eyes with Jesus. He's going, Jesus, don't, don't judge me by what you just saw. That, that's not me. Judge me by what I, what I said to you, what I wanted to be true, but it's, it's not good enough. And so Jesus and Peter have this moment where they lock eyes together. And I can only imagine what is going through Peter's head as he processes the complete collapse of all his intentions, all the things he thought would be true about him. And so it begs the question, did Peter fail? Because remember, there's, there's a lot on the line. Satan is trying to do something, but, but didn't Jesus pray for him? I, I mean, did Jesus' prayer not work? How does, this, how does this happen? I mean, Jesus said that he was gonna pray for Peter. How does Peter still fail? But if you go back and you reread the, the prayer that Jesus had for him, you read it closer, you realize it's maybe different than we assume it is. This is in verse 32, which we already read. Here's what Jesus says. I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. You see, we read this and we assume that Jesus is praying for Peter not to deny him. It's not what he's praying for. He's praying for what happens next. And when you have turned back. You see, he's not focused on whether or not Peter's gonna be able to, to deny Jesus. Jesus focused on how Peter's faith responds afterward. That's why he says, I, I pray that your faith may not fail. And he predicts redemption. When you have turned back, come on, Peter, you're gonna snap out of this. You're gonna, you're gonna move beyond this. You're gonna be a different person afterward. That's what Peter is getting prayed for. And yet most of us think, no, he was getting prayed that he would have the ability to live out his, his, uh, his good intentions. See, we live with this false dichotomy as Christians, and I see this all the time. Hey, if I have faith, then I won't fail. Then my intentions will be good, and my faith will be good, and all will be good. And most Christians live like this, until you realize you fail, and you have that moment where your good intentions fall apart. And then here's what a lot of Christians do. They go, well, then my faith must not have been real. Then Jesus must not be real. 
This whole God thing must not be real. Um, I, I never was really a Christian, I never really was with Jesus because if I had been, this wouldn't have happened. And yet it's not the way we see Jesus meet Peter in this story. And it's not the way he meets us. You see, when you are so content and locked in on your intentions, it's far more about you and your pride than it is about Jesus. So how good you think you can be rather than what Jesus can do in your midst. And here's what I've learned through this story, that your faith will grow or die in the face of failure. Those are your options. When you fail, you are gonna go one of two directions. You are going to grow from that and go, wow, that broke me of some mentality I had that I was just gonna be good enough and strong enough. Or you'll allow it to kill your faith and you will not recover. See, there's a parallel in this story to Peter with another guy who fails Jesus miserably. It's a guy named Judas. Now, if you know the story, Judas is the one who was also uh, one of the 12 with Peter. And Judas is the guy that brings the soldiers right to Jesus. Says, here he is. I'll tell you where to find him. I'll make sure that you can find him when he's vulnerable. And Judas brings him in and, and gives him away with a kiss. And, and we know Judas' story today. Oh, he's the betrayer. You know, he, he's, you know, pure evil. We, we say these things about Judas. But, but what about Peter? Because both of them failed. Now, which one is the real Peter? Because we would go, oh, we know who the real Judas is. Well, who's the real Peter? Is the real Peter the guy with the good intentions? I'll go to prison for you. I'll die for you. Is that the real Peter? Is the real Peter the one who de denied him three times in like two hours? Is that the real Peter? Or is the real Peter the one who's gonna get restored afterward? Which one's the real Peter? It's the wrong question to ask because Peter was not defined by his failures. Judas was. We remember Judas today because of his failures. We don't remember Peter like that. And you realize the difference between how they handled their failures. I love what Philip Yancey once said. The only thing worse than disappointment with God is disappointment without God. You see, you wanna follow God, guess what? You're gonna experience disappointment. If someone promised you a Christianity without disappointment, you were sold a bill of, go of goods. You're gonna experience disappointment. But there's a huge difference between disappointment with God and disappointment without God. It's a difference between Peter and Judas. Your faith will either grow or die in the face of failure. Now, we've talked about this is a series on the resurrection. Because what we're looking at is how the resurrection changes everything. So I wanna show you the way the New Testament writers talk about the resurrected Jesus in light of what we just saw about Peter. Now think, if, if Jesus didn't rise again from the grave, Peter would end on this note. That'd be his last thing we'd remember of him. Oh yeah, remember he was the guy that abandoned Jesus right when Jesus was killed? And if Jesus never comes back to life, that's the end of Peter's story. But it's not the end because Jesus doesn't stay dead. And when he comes back, notice the way that the New Testament writers want us to be aware of the way in which Jesus comes back and appears to those who were with him. Here's the way that Mark says it in chapter 16. This is, these are some angels talking. But go, tell his disciples and Peter that he is going ahead of you to Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. The angels say, hey, guess what? Jesus is not dead. He's not here. He's alive. Go tell his disciples and Peter. Was Peter not a disciple? Of course he was. 
but they make a note, make sure you know that Peter has to be involved in this. Peter has to be one of the first ones to know about the resurrected Jesus. Uh, in Luke, he, Luke says it this way in chapter 24. They got up and they returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the 11 and those with them assembled together and saying, it is true the Lord has risen and has appeared to Peter. Well, why is Peter again singled out? This is an important detail. He has appeared and he went to Peter. He has talked to Peter. Paul says it this way in 1 Corinthians 15. For what I received, I pass on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Peter, their name for Peter, and then to the twelve. You see, the New Testament writers want you to notice something that maybe you've never thought about before. When the resurrected Jesus comes back, the first person on his agenda is Peter. Why? Is he mad? Is he going to give Peter a lashing? No. The resurrected Jesus goes to Peter and says, Peter, I need to restore you. I, I need to fix what was broken. I need to pick up where we last left off. That will not be the end of your story. And it's a beautiful picture that this resurrected Jesus makes a mental note to go and talk to Peter uniquely. Now, let me give you a, perhaps a weird thought. This is, this is my thought. It's not in the text. Could it be possible? Had Judas not killed himself, Judas goes and hangs himself after what he did. Could it be possible that if Judas would have still been around, that all those passages we just read that highlighted Peter's name, that they would have actually said that he appeared to Judas first, then to Peter. That the first person the resurrected Jesus comes back for is Judas. Now you may go, no way. That would never happen. Here's what you have to realize. Jesus is in the redemption business. If you think that Judas was too far gone, you are missing the power of the resurrected Christ. The first person he goes back to is the guy who failed him the worst that was still around. Judas was gone, not because Jesus killed him, because Judas removed himself from the story. Judas assumed that is the end of it. It will never get better. Peter sticks around. Peter tries to wrestle through, what do I do now in the midst of this failure, and Jesus shows up to him. It's Peter, we've got unfinished business. I, I need to bring you back. And it's incredible to see how Jesus does it. See, this passage is so remarkable because of what Peter goes on to do after this. If you know the rest of the story, if you read throughout, you see that Peter becomes this incredible leader of the early church. He's referred to as the rock the church will be built upon. I mean, just amazing how Jesus uses Peter, how he restores Peter because there is work to do. There's a church to build. And he goes, Peter, we're gonna, we're gonna do it and I need you to be a part of it. And church tradition tells us that Peter was killed by being crucified upside down. Now again, it's not in the text, just handed down through uh, the centuries that that was the way in which Peter died. You may wonder why, why was he crucified upside down? According to tradition, Peter said that he was unworthy to die in the same way that they killed Jesus. So he asked them to crucify him upside down. Remember Peter's good intentions that he couldn't live out? He actually does live them out eventually, but only after he grows through failure. Only after he experiences all of his good intentions fall apart 
And Jesus meets him in that moment. Only then does he become the Peter that we know him today. And so today as we figure out what does this mean for us, what does this mean for you and I, here's what I would suggest. You're in one of two camps as you consider a story like this. Some of you, you relate with Peter today. You're in a season right now of your life where your good intentions are falling apart around you. Maybe you're dealing with the fallout of that, of the, the backlash of that, the consequences of that. You're going, man, I, I thought it was going to play out like this, and it is not at all. This is what I'm dealing with instead. And the reality for you is you can either go the way of Peter or the way of Judas. You can either stick around and expect that the resurrected Jesus will meet you there, or you can remove yourself from the story and say, this is it. I'm gonna be done forever. I love the way that Mike Foster says it. Such a simple image. He says, don't stumble over something behind you. I mean, think about that logically. If someone was walking and there's a rock behind them and then you see them trip, they go, oh, that rock back there. You look at them and go, how did you trip on a rock behind you? And yet, whenever we decide, hey, my failure will define me. I, I am only as good as my worst failure. That's you tripping over something behind you. Jesus, the resurrected Jesus, meets you there. He says, guess what? We got work to do. It's time to build the church. It's time to move. It's time to do things. And I, I'm gonna use you. And so the option for you, if you're experiencing a life like Peter right now, is to find the resurrected Jesus in the midst of that. And watch what he will do in the midst of your weakness, in the midst of your failure. And the second group of us today are those who go, well, that's not really me. My intentions are holding up, feeling pretty good about things. That's great. Well, here's what I encourage you. Number one, find someone around you who's hurting and encourage them. Support them. Encourage someone who wants to be defined by the lie that they're only as good as their good intentions and remind them that the resurrected Jesus is waiting for them, is ready and eager to meet them in the midst of that. Be the encouragement that maybe they're not gonna find anywhere else. And secondly, realize that you will have your own season of this, your own moment. You go, I, I thought my intentions were good enough and then they're gonna get tested in a way that you couldn't predict, that you weren't quite ready for. And if you keep this in mind, you can know, hey, I don't have to let that moment, whenever it comes, I don't have to let that moment define me. I can experience Jesus in the midst of it. Here's what I would say as we close today. Our faith comes from the power of the resurrection, not the power of our intentions. You see, so often Christianity is all about be a good person, be moral, be disciplined, hardworking, do all the right things, look the part, and then you can be in. That's the power of your intentions. That's not what Christianity is based on. See, Christianity is about living in the power of the resurrected Christ not how good you are, not how great your intentions are, not how often you've been able to carry them out. You're gonna have to decide which one of those will define you. Judas was defined by his intentions and never got past it. Peter started this way and realized it was about something else. It was about something more. It's the invitation for all of us. So your faith will either grow or die in the midst of failure. But the resurrected Jesus is waiting to meet you there. Let's pray together. Jesus, we need to experience your resurrected power. We want to, to learn this lesson from Peter. And yet the reality is we don't want to experience the same failure that Peter had. 
that it's so easy for us to cling to our intentions and to define our identity in that. Yet the reality is, there's no power in that. The power is in the resurrection. In the ways that you meet us there, that you breathe life into our brokenness, into our messiness, into all the issues that we bring. And yet your resurrected power lives through us. Jesus, would you find us here, broken but not defeated, honest about where we are, and inviting you to show up, inviting you to lead us, to propel us forward, to push us when we don't think we can go anymore. Not because we are going to be good enough, but because you are. And we are going to rely on what you can do in our story. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.